You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back, Arizona. It is 8 o'clock, our outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the House. And we're joined this hour with Jay Harper, which I'm, a- I'm actually surprised. Ever since they announced and published that they would pay people to catch brown trout out of the Colorado River, I keep expecting to come in Saturday morning and not find Gary, Jay, or Rosie. But you're all here today. We need to go do that. <clears throat> Maybe we can pay for our trip. You're lucky I didn't see that article. <laughs> I keep waiting to come in and show up Saturday and no one else be well, here. Well, I haven't seen the details. The devil's in it. How much are they going to pay? That's, of course, that shouldn't keep you from going and fishing at say, least ferry anyway. You go fishing there without getting paid now. True. He's, he's negotiating right now. Yeah. He, he, he would go for free. Yeah. Right now he's just negotiating. Don't tell anybody. If you follow along in our home maintenance calendar, you know, today we're topic is primarily winter gardening, but we'll take any questions about your outdoor yard, landscape, gardening, winter lawns at one 767 4348 rosie for you Text questions to 411-923. You can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. Beautiful, beautiful time of year. This is, if I could be outside right now, I wish these doors, these windows you could open just to really smell the aroma. Yeah. We've got a nice overcast today. When you get just that little bit of cloud cover, something about the aroma, and then we're supposed to get rain next week, and the creosote aroma is going to hit. This is just one more reason why I, I think we're the truly biggest inbound no- state in the union. November's got to be the best month in the whole state of Arizona. I mean, it's not— Terribly cold up north yet. There's still fall color here and there. We were in the Pace and Christopher Creek area yesterday. The, the The fall color up there is kind of gone. But, you know, it was 65 degrees yesterday there. So it's perfect there. It's perfect here. It's pretty hard to not want to be outside right now. Oh. And the plants love it. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, anything that got... A little bit tired out this summer and a little stressed out has has or is recovering nicely right now. That the nice cool nights and the short cooler days and uh, things are things are flushing out and blooming and um, it, it, it's just a great time. Uh, winter gardens, cool season gardens are just going crazy. It, you should be picking, you know, leafy greens and you know your if you did some fall tomatoes. Hopefully you've got some of those about ready and. Uh, the gardens are looking good. Rose bushes are blooming. Give them a little bit more food one, one more time, maybe before it gets cold. And things are looking good. Citrus fruits are starting to show a little color. Not there yet. Oh, but our they're lemons starting to are... color up. Lemons are probably there. Limes are certainly ripe or past ripe, and lemons are probably getting close to ripe. Now, rain scheduled for two or three days next week. They're saying maybe one to one and a half inches in the Metro Phoenix area. Wow, bring it on. Shouldn't shouldn't I be spreading pre-emergent? Absolutely. Right now, this weekend? Yes, sir. You should. You should. This would be the time. Take advantage. We don't get that often enough where we can time it so we don't have to water in our fertilizers or our pre-emergent. So get some pre-emergent down. If, you're, if your winter lawn has been mowed a time or two, get some fertilizer down. Before that rain, take advantage of letting that water it in. 
uh, your fall garden, your vegetable garden. You want to keep it well fed, so feed it ahead of time a little bit. Um, take advantage of that. Absolutely. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's not like getting your car washed and, you know, you go wash your car, it'll rain. If you don't, it won't. So if you, if you get fertilizer and pre-emergent down, hopefully it'll still rain. We don't want to jinx that. <laughs> Lance was trying to decide whether or not to go <laughs> wash his truck this weekend at the office yesterday. And we're like, do it. I don't care. I'll pay for it. If it rains, I'll pay for the I'll, one at next I'll week. I'll give you the rain check. Remember they used to give rain checks? <laughs> Do it. Get it. Yeah. Let's get some rain. It is. It, it's dry everywhere. It's dry. It's dry. I was uh, two weeks ago up on the North Rim and out in that country south of Fredonia, and, it, man, the roads were talcum powder dry. So it's we need it. If you'd like to talk about your garden or landscape, one 767 4348 one triple eight, Rosie, for you. We've got you mentioned the winter lawn. If it's been mowed yet, we just now last weekend got ours seeded, mm-hmm. and you can see you get down on your hands and knees and look through those <clears> little frog gray, hairs coming up. It's yeah. just starting. Good, that's awesome. Well, that rain will help that. And uh, I usually recommend once it's mowed at least once to get some fertilizer on it again. So yeah, the rain will push it. Uh, if it doesn't get too cold, it'll it'll just keep going and uh, get some fertilizer on it, and you'll have a great – your timing is great. It doesn't take as much water to do it. Uh, your Bermuda grass is going to go dormant and stay dormant. So I, I think it's you're well-served waiting a little longer these days to do your winter lawn. So if I'm hitting the nursery on the way home, I'm looking for pre-emergent and fertilizer. Right. Yep, pre-emergent. And fertilizer. Of course, you want to buy the Farm's Choice fertilizer if you're, <laughs> if you're going to buy any. But no, a good a and, good fertilizer for your trees, shrubs, landscape, winter lawn. Probably don't want to fertilize things like bougainvillea, hibiscus, lantana, tropical things. Maybe a little late for citrus. We don't want to push a lot of new growth on things that could freeze. But uh, hardy landscape, your rose bushes, and winter lawns for sure. And you mentioned the farmer's choice. That's a lot easier to find now. The distribution has really picked up. And Well, there's some sales guy out there that's covering. <laughs> some sales guy. <laughs> and for anybody that doesn't know, you can't get more organic or local than the farm's choice. That would be hard to do, yeah. <laughs> Made right, right here in the valley and uh, by chickens that live right here in the valley. So it's all local. And for years, it has been it it hasn't really been available on retail. It was, but numerous golf courses throughout the state. It, this is where it was going. Golf courses, and you know, a lot of the lot of the leafy greens you are eating uh, in the grocery store have been fertilized with it, and some of your citrus, and a lot of your dates, um, and a lot of your pecans. And you have granules now. Isn't that a newer side? Is uh, the well, it's. It, it's a, a crumble material. Okay. It, it, uh, probably wouldn't call it a granule. It's not that uniform. But uh, uh, we do have an unpelletized crumble that's a, that's a really nice product. That's heat-treated, so it's pathogen-free, safe to use on your edibles up to the day of harvest. No problem. And when you're talking about edibles, what can we put in the ground right now? There's... Well, you can keep planting all of your, yeah, so it's easier to almost talk about what you can't plant now. (laughs) But um, so we've, we've, this phrase, I know we've worn it out over the years, but anything that you eat the leaf of, the root of, 
or or maybe part of or a modified stem. So leafy things, spinaches and lettuce and kale and uh, chard and, and those types of things. Uh, root crops like turnips and uh, radishes, carrots, beets, and then, you know, modified stems like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower. So any of those types of, of crops are are plantable all winter long and the nice thing is you can you can stage them so you can do a little bit of this and then wait a few weeks and do it again so you don't have it all ready at one time um, and you can have you know you can be picking uh, greens and harvesting your winter crops right up until you're ready to plant for the summer crops so and summer things are usually the thing you go pick a fruit off of like a tomato or a pepper um, you know, those, so that those are things we grow in the warmer uh, time of year. And when you're talking about picking melons, come to that mine. And I think, was it you that said we used to, they used to grow melons inside of uh, citrus orchards? Well, uh, Brian Blake, Whitfield Nurseries, uh, Brian does a lot of farming. Um, and he plants his watermelons around the base of his younger citrus groves, the ones that haven't gotten so big they're too shady underneath. So you get, you know, you're already watering them, and uh, it, it works wonderfully. Two for one. So yeah. the shade does come into a factor. On well, once you get a big, mature citrus orchard, and it's, you know, canopy to canopy, there's really no place to grow, you know, uh, <clears throat> melons or a viney crop that needs sun underneath those. But if you've got younger trees or younger uh, plants and with plenty of room outside the canopy, uh, it's, it's a great way to do it. We used to do it uh, way back. My grandpa used to do it when we had a tree farm in the back of our mason nursery. They grew a lot of, you know, melons and cantaloupes and stuff this exact same way. You mentioned it's easier to talk about what you can't grow, and we've got a great state and all kinds of different elevations, terrains, and you said pecans to melons, and it's a, it's a great time to get out there. And there was a article that we uh you know we've gotten pretty busy and the kids are growing and i haven't had a garden in for a couple of couple of years but this this kind of reinvigorated my desire to grow my own food eatery now serving up warm worm burgers worms that's not a cheeseburger patty that's worms I don't I, even know I'm, what to say about I'm encouraged that. <laughs> to grow my own. <laughs> hey, this looks like a good spot to rustle up some grub. Ew, what's that? Hey, grub. What's it look like? Ew, gross. Mm. Tastes like chicken. Slimy yet satisfying. These are rare delicacies. Mm. Mm. Pecans with a very pleasant crunch. You're learning to love them. I'm telling you, Tim. This is the great life. No rules, no responsibilities. Ooh, the little cream film kind. And best of all, no worries. Well, kid? Oh, well. Hakuna Matata. I'm still not trying it. <laughs> and this is one trend that can stay in London. Insect Farm is holding events to teach people how to cook with worms and crickets. Burgers, cricket bruschetta, curry, mealworm fritters. Crispy chocolate mealworm, cupcakes, cinnamon and raisin insect biscuits. 
pass. If that's <laughs> if that's what's gonna hit the mainstream food market, I'm growing. I'm getting back to growing my own, so I don't have to put up with that. I probably eat one of the. I probably eat one of those Impossible Burgers before I eat one of those. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> it's the other stuff that's impossible. You don't want to eat. Oh yeah. Oh. oh. There's a good reason they call it. Oh, I shouldn't even. <laughs> People are still eating breakfast. That's right. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Hopefully, not insect breakfast. And if it does catch on, look at all those pest control companies going out of business. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, you think that, but no, they actually have insect growing <laughs> they're far- factories. They're farming, they're farming oh, insects for yeah. this. <laughs> they get a co-op going. Well, you know, the price of milk and eggs, These some of these dairy farmers and egg, they might want to consider growing bugs. I don't know. <laughs> oh, it takes all kinds. For for growing and soil condition, you know, you're – let's get the soil prepped. If you've all never right. put a garden in, we've got some – Bare dirt in our backyard. What what goes in to help us? Well, grow? the main thing we're lacking here, you know, in case you hadn't noticed, we live in a desert, and uh, uh, it doesn't rain very much, and there's not a lot of organic material that gets returned to the soil and decomposes, and our our soil is pretty just brown and void of uh, of any any kind of organic material. So the first thing we want to do is add a lot of organic material, whether it's manures or compost or you make your own compost or you go buy bags of good dark rich black looking uh, soil type products and you blend those in uh, to the to the ground until it looks darker and richer you know and it, a good six to 12 inches deep uh, probably a little gypsum to help offset some of our alkalinity is not a bad idea uh, and get that tilled in and, and then add a little bit of organic fertilizer. Uh, and then you're ready to plant. And uh, a good garden soil is kind of like a good soup. It just gets better every year, better every time you keep adding to it and developing it. And remember, you're changing, you're trying to change the makeup of soil or of earth that's thousands of years old. So you're not probably going to get it perfect in one or two times, but over the course of time, you can have a very good, rich, loose, pliable, you know, where you can stick your hand in. I always tell people, you are ready to plant. When you want to plant a, a tomato plant or a petunia or a geranium in your, whether it's a flower bed or a vegetable garden, you shouldn't need a, a trowel or a shovel to dig the hole. You should be able to just reach down with your hands, scoop out the hole and pop the little transplant in. When it looks dark and you can stick your hand in that far and pull out a hole and, and put a transplant in, it's ready to go. Uh, so that's that's really as simple as it is. Now, if that is old ground and it's been sitting in your backyard, maybe it's been compacted and, it you know, it's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe add a little moisture to it, water it for a day or two before you do it. Uh, that'll help and, uh, and do it. If you really want it to be easier, it's it's maybe a little more costly, but you know, go down, get some Belgard blocks or some cinder blocks, or build yourself a nice raised out of out of some good redwood or something, and build a box and put it on top of that ground, and then just then you can just go buy bags of potting soil and fill that up, and you're ready to plant. Add a little fertilizer to it, and you're ready to go. So. 
as you get older, those, those gardens getting up higher off the ground become a little handier too. And when that soil is so nice, you can just reach down and pick it up with your hand and, and get a, a full fistful. Every neighborhood cat well, will find be. that. Yeah, so can. then we start building our, our plant prison, as Rosie calls <laughs> it, right? to, to keep birds and, and, and animals out. But you know what um, a trick that uh, Amanda found and has been extremely handy? When you go to a nursery or garden center and let's say you buy you know, a bunch of little flowers and mm-hmm. you've got those crates. Mm-hmm. Turn the empty crate upside down and put it over the top of the garden, and okay. then they can't get in there and dig, and the plants come up right through the crates. Yeah. Now that when you go buy, when you have those what we call flats in the business or a crate, there are different types of those. So make sure you get the ones that have the big, me- big openings in the bottom. Some of them are too small for plants to come up through. Those are seed flats that they actually start seeds in, but you sometimes find those. So. Make sure you get the ones the that bigger are, flat. Yeah, the big bigger holes. Yeah, yeah. That is it. More of a basket weave looking <laughs> bottom. Yeah, that's a great idea. And, and it, it has worked great, and it's very uh, cost effective when it, compared to building a big, grand. Re, re, now, which ultimately we still had to put up or wanted to more than anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, everything once you start growing, every insect and animal thinks you're doing it for them. <laughs> Well, you know, you create a you create a hospitable environment for plants. It's probably going to be the kind of environment that other critters like as well. But in the long run, it is worth it. It is something that you know, just our busy rodeo schedule. It kept us from having a a garden. It's something that with the kids older now, we revitalize our old raised planters because th- there is something just so satisfying about coming home at the end of the day, taking a basket. Going and picking everything and come inside and know the salad I'm eating all just came from 10 feet out the back door. Absolutely. It, it's got to be. There's a couple reasons to plant a garden. Satisfaction, exercise, knowing where your food's coming from. Do not do it to try and save money. <laughs> <laughs> there's one reason to not grow a garden is if you are thinking you're going to save money doing it, you're probably going to be wrong. <laughs> That and, and you think, gosh, how can they, you know, for how the ag industry is very effective. Very efficient. <laughs> very efficient. Yes, they are. If you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Text questions, 411-923, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. Dan texted in and asked John, please share again your recommendation for fertilizer of the winter lawn. Well, make sure you've mowed it at least once. And then uh, winter lawns, the colder it gets, the harder it is going to be for some of the nitrogens to be taken up by by the grass. And we usually use something that has maybe some ammonium nitrate in it. If you're going to use a conventional fertilizer, a product called Turf Royale works really well. Uh, if you get on top of it while it's still warm and, and get plenty of organic fertilizers on there, um, you know, the, as we mentioned, the Farm's Choice makes a granular pellet, or not a granular, makes a pellet. Um, 
And organics, you know, can be a little slower in the colder weather too. But if you get it built up now, you won't need to fertilize it. They last a long time in the soil, persist. They're available for the plant for a long time. So get your organics on now, or if, if you wait till it gets really cold uh, and your lawn starts to yellow out a little bit, you'll definitely have to go with something conventional like turf royal. Jim, one of our regular listeners, is out driving around this morning, and he had a request for his wife, Barbara. Could you please repeat that list of what you can grow, or however you did it before, how you, what you can't grow? <laughs> okay, Barbara. You got your pencil ready, I hope. So we're going to plant anything that you can eat the root of, the leaf of, or maybe a part of a modified stem of. So think of root crops. We think carrots, beets, radishes, turnips. You know, there's obviously more than that. Those are the basics. Leafy things like spinach and chard and lettuces of different kinds and kale, if you really think you need to have kale. Just my opinion. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I can second that. I'll, I'll third that. Ooh. It's a superfood, guys. Come on. Yeah, good. I'm super it better. Be, it better be. <laughs> Arugula. <laughs> Uh, and then broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts. And you say what you can't grow. There's things that shouldn't grow that do. Gary sent me this from the New York Times a few weeks ago. A tomato growing in the East River out of a wood pier next to the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, just, I, I, I learned a long time ago in the nursery business, you just don't tell people you can't grow something here because somebody will probably prove you wrong. If you want too bad enough... But uh, they find tomato plants growing in a lot of interesting places. <laughs> and the, out of a wood pier next to the Brooklyn Bridge. Yet if you have this nice garden, you spend all this money and you try and grow a tomato plant and you can't do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or you get that nice blossoming rod on all of them yeah, where the birds get to you? it before right. you can. <laughs> There's some things that do and some things that don't. Now, this is kind of off the topic of landscape and gardening, but it, it, it does tie in. Did you see that they've got a new uh, monument they're going to designate to the hotshot crew? A new one? No. This is actually going in Yarnell. It's a nine-foot-by-nine-foot steel uh, structure that is that will have the picture of the hotshots doing the pyramid. Uh, oh, in front of that big uh, alligator juniper. And mm -hmm. that's what I wanted not only just—well, this it's happening today at 2.00. Okay. Uh, is they're doing the unveiling of this this statue up at Yarnell Hill, and that juniper behind it is actually the Arizona Champion Juniper Alligator Tree, and the Champion Tree program is actually pretty neat. The Arizona State Forestry Department does it where you identify the largest living tree of that species, and until they find a bigger one, that's designated the Champion Tree, and they were sent in to save this specific tree because. It's the largest living known alligator juniper and it is huge. in the state. And they estimate that that was growing at the time of Christ. It's wow. older than, than... If you see all those guys those stacked up in front of that, and then you see how big, you can imagine how big that tree is. So I had the privilege of hiking to it at one point, and it, it, it's amazing how big that is. Oh, be darn. And the, there's another one that's easy to see. The, and my favorite desert tree is the ironwood i don't know what it is about the ironwood but over mesquites palo verdes okay. ebony's the, the ironwood is my favorite and you can see the champion ironwood tree it's just not 50 yards off of carefree highway 
Oh, really? Growing in a wash, south side of the road, about mile marker nine, if you're heading west towards Grand Avenue. There you go. I'll have to look for that. Big, big old, huge ironwood tree. It's something about that ironwood in the desert setting just completes it. Well, that, that bloom, that smoky kind of lavendery purple bloom when they bloom in the early summer is 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 a is really a neat color too. It's different. You know, everything else is yellow. And then you get that thing bloom and it's really kind of neat. And all these things once established, you really, you know, your water use can drop drastically. Now, you don't always want them to look like the desert in its natural environment during drought season at your home, but it doesn't take much to keep them uh, green right. and thriving. Right. Yeah, you got to you you need to water it a little bit, especially in May and June before the monsoons kick in if you want it to look landscape quality. John, For could sure. you could you grow portobello mushrooms this time of year? Huh? Have you ever tried to grow mushrooms? You know, uh, when when we were kids, um <clears throat> My dad brought home, they were selling in the nurseries a little kit. And it was kind of a color, a covered deal and just a lot of organic material. And, and then, it, you know, you make it dark because they like to grow in dark, highly organic conditions. Um, it's a fungus. So I, I suppose you could, Gary, you might. I, I really don't know what conditions are, are right for portobellos. But, you know, there's some very active... Uh, there's a professor at ASU, a microbiology professor, Chester Leathers. I don't even know if he's still alive or not. Uh, that, but he would conduct uh, trips up in the rim country in the summertime and the, during the monsoon. And they would go and he would talk about what mushrooms were safe and which ones weren't. And they would harvest um, a, lot of, a lot of good mushrooms. I think they get morels up there mm. that, that are a pretty expensive mushroom. Um, but uh, I, I suppose if you could find out what they liked, you could you could probably grow. If you had a garden, let's say you're growing tomatoes and you know other root vegetables, could you like section off a part of that garden and cover well, it? I, I suppose you'd have to cover it. You'd have to make it yeah. dark somehow, probably, and a lot wetter than the rest of your garden would like. Used to find a lot of mushrooms growing in in old greenhouses down under the benches. You know, even growing where the where the the wooden benches had decomposed and fallen apart and that sort of thing. So that's that's kind of what they like. So they're they're kind of you know hard to do both because they like such different conditions than most of our garden plants would like. I guess if you got an old cave in your yard, <laughs> or you could dig an old cave, dig a cave underground and and grow them. <laughs> yeah. Old root cellar. Yeah, there someplace like that. Now we don't have a lot. The, the ground here, digging wise, is pretty tough. Well, they like you know they like highly organic decay. Where you find mushrooms growing out in the forest is usually you know off the base of an old log, uh, stump or where an old log is decomposing or something like that. I meant root cellars. <laughs> oh, root cellars. Yeah, no, we don't have a lot of root cellars. In well, if the root cellar isn't well built, it <laughs> could be decomposing. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> Perfect place. Uh, what a great time to be in Arizona. It's going to get rain this week, hopefully. Uh, we're gonna, Everyone wash your car today to Knocking make sure we get it. rain. I am going to go do that, actually. <laughs> it needs it. It needs it, but we've got a great planting season. The, the weather's great. Their lawns are green uh, with the winter rye. What, what, what more could you ask for? Well, you know what I'm amazed of? 
You've gone all all show with no mention of LSU beating Alabama. Or, <laughs> How does that happen? We're not done There's yet. no gloating? Se- separation of church oh, and state. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Oh. <clears throat> so did you watch the game? Uh, I did not, actually. I was... Uh, Last Saturday, I was at uh, the Green Valley Pecan, uh, had their big run through the Grove, and we uh, we took our uh, Wavolution machine down there, our trailer, and cooked uh, breakfast burritos for all the runners. Uh, and so I was that's where I was last Saturday for most of the day. You were cooking the burritos, not doing the run. I was not. That, that's e- I, I was, was not doing either. I was kind of <laughs> out in front. Uh, you know, kind of talking to people about what we do and and our products, and uh, uh, they wouldn't dare let me cook anything in that trailer. <laughs> well, John, I do have the LSU Alabama game recorded. Uh-huh. Um, you're welcome to come watch it. I've I've only watched it seven times, <laughs> uh, so I could just get. I have it memorized. You I could just give you me? a play by play. Okay, I'd rather have that than watch it. I think. <laughs> that was, Everybody's worried about what they're going to do with Oregon. Well, ASU is going to solve that problem in a couple of weeks. We'll just beat them. There and you then go. They don't have to worry about what to do with them. That's the best thing to do with Oregon. Right. <laughs> so you got us completely distracted. Now we're talking football. Sorry. Uh, and you brought in. Uh, you introduced us to Brian Johnson, the ASU turf. Uh, what do, you, what do you call it? Football field artesian? field <laughs> turf coordinator, I guess. In this He's the one that comes yeah. up with all the great... Uh... Well, he, he number one, he makes sure there's grass growing, and it's nice and healthy and green and looks great. But he also is in charge of painting it and putting the logos and all that stuff on there, too. He, yeah. he does a real good job in the end zones. Uh, I guess it was the third or fourth game of the season. Uh, I didn't even notice this until I saw it in a magazine. Uh, you had the Sun Devil logo. But then you had some lines across it, and it turns out it was the topography map of the mountains around the stadium. Little mm. things like that that um, probably no one paid attention, attention to. Attention to detail. Yeah. Like it. yeah. All right. So I'm wondering if he could put some subliminal message in there about beating Oregon. <laughs> Is that a home game or an away game? It's home. It's home. So we're going to beat Oregon on ryegrass seed that was grown from Oregon. Perfect. <laughs> it's wow. an Im- I There's got it. irony. I love I got it. it. It's an image of Rosie with his rifle shooting ducks. <laughs> inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, you know that was the that row, was the theme song when I first started the garden show in KTAR <laughs> in the in the eighties. Is it uh, Peter, Den- Paul, and Mary? It's John Denver. Oh. John Denver, yeah. <laughs> it's a Pete Seeger song, I think. But, uh, yeah. He, he missed water. That's another key ingredient from that. Uh, listening to his checklist there. <laughs> he, he missed water from uh, from his from his key ingredients to make the garden grow. Well, you know, there's a lot of places don't have to worry about that. It's We're pretty unique and when it comes to gardening and agriculture with the amount of water we, you know, we... We have to use and apply to get things to grow, and trying to grow things in a very arid situation. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty tough. But uh, a lot of places, they you know I can remember when 
years ago in the landscape industry when uh, there was a big, big drought in the Midwest and the guys were laughing because it, they were selling so many hoses and sprinklers, nurseries in the Midwest, because people typically didn't have to water their lawns. Lawns were turning brown, so people were having to water them, but nobody owned a hose long enough for a sprinkler that would water their lawn. <laughs> so they had to go out and buy them. <laughs> I guess that's true. Never growing uh, any kind of plant outside of the state of Arizona. Uh, dry gardening is, is a very foreign yeah, thought in my yeah. mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> and water, uh, very seldomly done right. I mean, I don't even get it right very often, <laughs> if if I ever have. Well, you know, it, it it depends on what you're watering. So we don't water the—a lot of people just water everything the same way. You don't water trees, especially mature trees, the same way you water a lawn. You don't water them the same way you water a vegetable garden. So, you, you know, it's really based on how deep are the roots or how deep should the roots be, perhaps, is even a better way to put it. So— <clears throat> A kind of a simple way thing to think about it is one, two, three. So little like plants, garden vegetables, bedding plants, small ground covers, lantana, things like that. Their roots are about a foot deep, so we need to get water about a foot deep. So you need to water long enough to get water down a foot deep. Medium-sized shrubs, landscape bushes, vines, those types of things, probably about two feet. And then large trees, I would say a minimum of three feet. So you, you have to, by trial and error sometimes, let water run and, and test it and see how long it takes to get water down to those depths. Of course, a lawn doesn't even need to be a foot deep, really, you know, grass. But some people don't water it long enough to get two or three inches deep. You know, take a screwdriver, a kind of a normal length <laughs> screwdriver, and stick it in the ground. If it goes in real easy like butter, you've got water down deep enough. I knew you were going to say. You have to say, step on it. You're not watering it long enough. <laughs> I knew you were going to say tape measure or <clears throat> screwdriver. And one thing that I invested in, it was about, I don't know, $25, I think, from Fisher Tools down on uh, Tempe, was an actual soil pro. Oh, sure. And it's about four feet tall. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, it's a, it's a sturdy fiberglass rod that... It, at first, I'm like, why fiberglass? Why don't they just make this out of metal? But it actually, um, I, I really like it because you can tell by the bend in the fiberglass how hard it is. You know, with, with the steel rod, you don't get an idea of just how much resistance is mm, there okay. as opposed to seeing that flex in the in the fiberglass rod. And that has changed the watering in, in my orchard and on my Does it take a core, though? Does it, t- does it take an actual core of soil out? It you... does not. Okay. But it's about a quarter inch round. And so it's just a, it's a just a, in, mm-hmm. it's just a stick in to see how deep you can get it in. You can buy them or used to be able to. They would, would actually were hollow and you could take a core and you could tell by the color. But you can tell by how easy it goes in. I mean, I when it I'm stops, it stops. You know, you <laughs> in Arizona, that dirt, yep, it's hard. There's no water there. So, And it's amazing on the drip lines. You can go put one where the drip's been running a couple hours and just a foot away. You can try mm-hmm. and push it there and... <laughs> yep. So that's a that's brings up a point. So water, once it starts penetrating the soil, doesn't just go straight down either. It, it moves out laterally. So you not only need to let it run long enough to get three feet deep, but you need to get the entire area or under the canopy of that tree or shrub 
one or two or three feet deep. So it can't just be one little dripper that's got a eight or 10 inch diameter of wet spot down. You need to let that area, you could literally run one dripper on a tree and it would get the entire area under the tree wet. It would take days to do that, but it, but it would work. It's easier if you have multiple emitters, and as the tree grows, you can move them away from the trunk and start adding them and spreading them out so that you can have these emitters placed uh, properly so when they run, they all eventually join, and the entire area then is wet after a number of hours. But it's hours, not minutes. Don't think if you're watering a tree for minutes, you're watering it long enough. On on a drip irrigation. On drip. <laughs> well, almost on anything, even a big mature tree with a with flood irrigation or with a bubbler or just a hose running wouldn't get enough water in, in 30, 40, 50 minutes probably. It would take, still take hours to get that done. It might not take 12 or 24 hours. You might be able to do it in six or eight or three or four, but it's still hours, not minutes. I've always testing and playing with new things that they come out on the market and there's always a different way to water and a different sprinkler head and a different water saving Mm -hmm, device and a different applicator one thing interesting that i've I've enjoyed but have finally found their flaw have you seen the drip emitters where you can adjust the head and you can go from one gallon an hour Mm -hmm. up to 10 gallon an hour correct yep in between waterings in the summertime when they, you know, you've still got to let the soil dry out. And even in the heat of the summer, if you're doing those deep waters, you let it go seven, eight, 14 days. Mm-hmm. You can come back and the calcium buildup inside of those little emitter heads can build up and prevent the water flow that you have on those. So I've got to go check every single time I turn on a, a line yeah. with those emitters is to go back <clears> and make sure. And a lot of times I've got to unscrew the head, let water run, rinse it out put it back on, and then I'm back to my gallons per minute that I had originally set it at. Yeah, it <clears throat> emitters, and I'll guarantee you that if you've got any kind of emitter on a drip system that's been on there for longer than six months, it probably isn't delivering the water it was <laughs> when it was new. <laughs> no, no. That, <clears throat> I do, you know, the water mm-hmm. conservation saving that they were trying to achieve with that is great, but if you're trying to do a, a big orchard, I would, I would go. I will tell you what we've what we've <laughs> gone to is is either bubblers or go to the the uh, <clears throat> hard pipe with the ports and using a, using a port then running just drip lines off of that so that it's regulated by the port and not by the little emitters mm. out at the end and those those are those are pretty darn good and I like the either the rigid line or you can buy a very thick walled flexible tubing now that works really great. Jay Harper, The Farm's Choice, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us in the lawn, garden, and beautiful Arizona outdoors. Always fun.